Welcome to episode 154 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, and sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're a noob or a master sudoer, welcome to the show. I'm Michael, and with me today are the jaw jabbers of Linux, Ryan, Noah, and Zeb. So, Zeb, how's your week been? My week's been pretty good, thankfully. Um, I had a short stream to do on Friday morning, and thanks to the Linux community, um, I managed to complete it. And in the process, the community donated a little over $1,500 for our chosen charity, Free Geek. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, now we're not sure of the exact amount, as some people donated directly, not via our link. And as yet, we are not able to tally the hardware that was pledged. But I am so proud um, of the community. Thank you all for helping me. And if that wasn't enough, I've also been playing with Endeavor's Net Installer. But we can talk about that later on in the show. So, Zeb, you did something incredible. You, you did a 24-hour straight stream. You took just a few 20-minute breaks in between and did this to raise money for the charity. And most people who are doing a stream like this will switch up games to keep themselves entertained. But no, you <laughs> stuck to the, the love of, of your life here, the trucking simulator, ETS. You did the America, the European version. You traveled some ridiculous amount of miles. You you showed off some 500,000 horsepower engine semi-trucks that needed wheelie bars in the back, practically. <laughs> um, you had tons of people from the community come and join into the chat. But if anybody's tried to do, and probably most people have never tried to do a 24-hour stream, but if you're doing a stream, having somebody there makes all the difference, having somebody to talk to. Definitely. It's almost like if you're on a long commute home and you call somebody and talking to them, that commute goes by really quick. All these people from the community were jumping in, encouraging you, helping to keep you, um, you know, awake and having a good time and laughing and carrying on. So it really was, even though uh, you certainly took the punishment for being up 24 hours straight, it really was a community effort here. Mm -hmm. And it raised money for a fantastic cause. Um, before you had started this, you know, we had talked about Free Geek. We had discussed what we're wanting to do with them, but there wasn't a lot of movement quite yet on it. So you doing this really kicked off this campaign in a huge way. Um, our overall goal for Free Geek was to get them to $3,000. And because of your effort, we're now nearly halfway there. So that's just incredible. And thank you so much for doing this. And this wasn't really super planned. Zeb just kind of hit us up in our crew <laughs> chat and was like, hey, guys, I'm doing a 24-hour stream. We're like, yeah, right, whatever, Zeb. No, seriously, I'm doing it this weekend. And <laughs> boom. Here we are. So thank you for doing it, Zeb. Yeah, that, that was, was awesome. incredible. You're very welcome. So Ryan, something about 10,000 happened this week. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, this was quite amazing as well. This week, my channel has crossed over the 10,000 mark, which is just a, it's an interesting thing to look back four years ago now when I started that channel and think that you know, I was so excited to tell my wife, like, there's 100 people subscribed to me now. Like it was... <laughs> People care what I'm saying. And then it got to a thousand and two thousand and three thousand. And it just every time you see that number grow, you know you're doing something right. And uh, the amount of people I was able to reach, you know, the biggest growth in my channel happened during that 30 days of Linux, where I was still a filthy dual booter Windows user. And I decided I was going to randomly try Linux and didn't know anybody in the community. And didn't know much about Linux at all. That's really when my channel kind of just started exploding and getting into many more thousands and now crossing the 10,000 mark. 
is just insane. It, it's it's I really can't wait for uh, more to grow, you know, to reach the hundred thousand mark uh, and to keep growing from there because as we continue to get the audience bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the more message we get to spread about Linux, showing Linux off. And, you know, my channel has focused heavily on showing what Linux can do on the latest and greatest hardware as well. So there's a lot of people out there it's been able to reach to show them that Linux is capable of running on cutting edge equipment. Um, there's a lot of channels out there that already talk about Linux and how great it is for uh, older equipment and reviving older equipment. And uh, but I think the channel has. Um, you know, it's been amazing the support that this channel has in the community that's built around it. And of course, a lot of that's a big thanks to being on this podcast. I mean, this podcast has an insane audience. So uh, I appreciate everybody who supported the DOS Geek channel. That was a huge uh, achievement for me this year. Yeah. And also, what's, you know, what's really great about that is that you now have reached a 10,000 mark, which means you are going to be getting this wooden play button. <gasps> oh, I get a fake play button too? Yes, you do. <laughs> it's a real thing wait. it's just not really from them it's from me but it's it's happening i can't it's, wait it's it, instead of just the silver version you're gonna get the wood version that's even better because it's that's amazing you, you can you repurpose whittle that it. yourself with some birch wood i absolutely whittled it myself with someone else's 3d printer nice fantastic <laughs> <laughs> congratulations though uh ryan seriously it's a it's a great achievement and it's one of those things that I think there's a lot of people that if you wanted to have a successful YouTube channel, the last thing you would pick in the world is Linux because it's just not, the, it's a niche audience to begin with. And so the fact that you're willing to do it, I'm glad it's paying off for you. And I'm glad that you're adding value to the community and people are seeing that and appreciating it. Um, Cause I certainly learn a lot from you and it's, it, it, it takes people who have, the willingness, the ability, and frankly, the money to be able to put a high production value thing out. And we don't have many of those people in the Linux world. Appreciate it. Thank you. So Noah, what's new in your world? Not a whole lot. I've been so busy with uh, work and then being buried by a snowstorm that I haven't had a whole lot of time to dig into uh, to a lot of my personal projects. But I, I did have some experience this week with uh, Proxmox. There's a bunch of people, every time I talk, talk about virtualization technology, that come out and tell me, Oh, you should really use Proxmox. I don't understand why you're not more positive about Proxmox. And the truth is, it just it was kind of a a latecomer to the game in that virtualization had already taken off and was already it already existed in a number of different places. And the thing that primarily drew people to Proxmox was the fact that it had a web interface, and so you could spin up all these you know these uh, these VMs through the web UI. And um, I had some I had to break into a Proxmox machine this week and do some maintenance on it and kind of fix it up and and essentially like the jury's still out and so I'll still continue to evaluate this stuff but kind of where I'm at with it or where I was at with it this week is libvirt and vert manager is just a better way to go if you're looking for a very robust if you need to manage if you're just doing one or two or three or five you know VMs down at your house fine but like when you start managing like hundreds of VMs and across multiple servers and stuff Man, if libvirt D and Cockpit and Vert Manager isn't doesn't appear to be a better way to go right off the bat. And again, jury's still out on that. I'm still gonna play with it and and because they already have Proxmox installed, but it just it kind of reinforced to something I've kind of suspected for a while, but haven't really had anything definitive to point to to be like, ah, oh, this works better. So Michael, what's new with you this week? So there's actually been quite a few things. I've been working on the new DL graphics for 2020 that are coming very soon. Not as soon as 2020 is, but still pretty soon. 
And I've also been cleaning my office, which I am so happy to actually have like stuff that you could see things now instead of just a bunch of boxes, unlike some people. <clears throat> uh, so uh, <laughs> another thing is I've actually been, you know, you've given me so much hard time about using the stool and no, like being complete. Not only is it important, I've actually also, thanks to Ryan, I now have the Barstool Philosopher shirt. You're welcome. Wearing. Merry Christmas. Yeah, it was, I appreciate that very much. And it, it, I'm embracing the stool philosopher, and I've been using the stool so much more thanks to their encouragement and kind words related to it. And uh, What's in fact, strange about that is I could swear it hasn't moved an inch from last week. No, no, no. I've been cleaning. It's moved around a lot. I just, I just uh -huh. know that everybody expects to see the gloriousness of the stool, so I put it in that corner just for that purpose, so that everybody can Amazing. join me and. And, and embrace the 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 barstool philosophy and everything. So, or the Thank in this case the ergo stool philosophy. Thank goodness our community, you know, has values. And instead of spending nine dollars on a stool, they spent nine dollars donating to Free Geek during uh, Zeb's twenty four hour stream. So we'd like to thank them for for going their stool for Free Geek. Sure. I also want to point out that I got the stool before we started doing the Free Geek thing, but that's not important, I guess. But no, it's no. not important. Okay, cool. So. so this episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get access to this, plus their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month, or half the cost of a stool. You can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour, if you'd like, instead, and that is darn near free. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash dl. And with that $50 credit, you could try all kinds of things as multiple droplets, or you could go to their like the bigger, larger droplets to try out any kind of robust thing you want to try. And again, you can get started with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash dl. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So in our community feedback this week, we have Dave who writes in and says, a few years back, I started buying laptops, Windows, and stopped using desktops. But Ryan kept saying, you can game on Linux over and over and over again in a good way. I had a budget of $400. I bought a used 8-core Xeon Dell Precision T1600 with 12 gigabytes of RAM for $116. Radeon RX 560 for $99. An SSD I had on hand for $0. 500-watt Thermaltake power supply for $44 with a total of $259. Not the best, but not too bad for under $300. I'd say you did a fantastic job of getting a budget gaming machine built there with lots of power to spare. Loaded up Pop! OS LTS, now running Witcher 2 and Dirt Rally with no issues. Yes, I'm behind in the gaming world. I don't think so. Witcher 2 is coming back in a big way. The series has come out on Netflix mm -hmm. recently, the Witcher series, which is incredible. The games have always been incredible, although adult games. So if you have small kids and stuff, I wouldn't play Witcher uh, with them, their violence and, and adult themes and things in it, but it's more of a medieval style game. Very, very awesome game. And Dirt Rally has always been known as one of the best racing games out there. Um, he goes on to say, I'm looking forward to gaming on Linux now. Thanks, Ryan, for the push. And thanks, Noah, Zeb, Michael, and Ryan for the great content. Dave. So I love hearing this. This is 
It's fantastic uh, feedback. I appreciate you writing in. I also like that you gave the specs on the machine because a lot of people say, hey, I built a budget PC for under $300. There's a lot of people who want to build a budget PC and they want to know what specs to go out and buy. So it's awesome that you listed those here. And really what you did is a lot of games are heavily reliant on the GPU. And because you have that Radeon RX 560 there that you spent that $99 on, that's giving you a lot of the power that you need to really push. And of course, that 12 gigabytes of RAM doesn't hurt in the Xeon processor as well to be able to push uh, those games. And you're not looking to play the latest AAA game here on this, although you probably could just on lower graphic settings, which is what's pretty cool about this setup that you have. So I appreciate you writing in uh, and giving the specs for that machine, Dave, and also very happy that you're on Linux and can see how good gaming has been. This is the best year for gaming ever on Linux with Proton and the amount of games that have come out. Um, You know, unless you have just this very specific game you have to play, you can game and have a fantastic uh, catalog of games to choose from in Linux today, which is so awesome. Bill writes in to say, hello, guys, love your show, Destination Linux and all of the other shows every week. I'm now using Gmail and want to move to a more secure service that doesn't data mine or more protection on information. Which service would you recommend for a more private and security of my information? Private email service. Thanks, Bill. Unless you guys feel differently, I feel like there's really only one, and that's ProtonMail. If you're looking for a service that really respects your privacy and isn't going to dig through your data, because the truth is, you could I could say things like Fastmail, right, would be an alternative to Gmail, offers a lot of the same features that G Suite has. However, if you actually read the terms and conditions of G Suite, technically, if you're paying for a corporate account, a G Suite account, you're paying for them, they claim they don't data mine your information. Uh, they, they're supposedly, they don't do that on, on G Suite accounts that are paid for, that are for corporate use, and on education accounts. Now, we can go back and find all sorts of information that highly suggests that they are doing that. Yeah. But, uh, but according to their, uh, if you look at Fastmail's privacy policy, you look at Google's privacy policy, both are the same. The only thing that differentiates ProtonMail for me is the fact that you are the only one that have the private key to your to your box. So the, the private key, you, you import the private key, you generate it, you lock it with the passphrase, and even ProtonMail themselves don't have access to that. Now, we know that's the case because you can't even do a password reset. If you do a password reset, you lose your keys and you lose all the email that was in that box, and you start over again. From that perspective, I would tell you, if you want actual private email service, check out ProtonMail. Don't try and host it your own. There's a lot of people that try and do that. It's a bad idea. You shouldn't do it. It'll just lead to frustration. If, if, you're, looking for the, if you're looking for a drop-in replacement for G Suite and, uh, and you want it to be more private, I suggest Proton. Now, just to clarify, you can reset mm-hmm. your password. What Noah was referring to there is if you forgot your password, to, you couldn't call up support and say, hey, I forgot my password. Can you go ahead and just reset my account? They can't do anything with it there. So if you forget your information, I mean, your, your encryption key, you're not going to be able to get call proton mail so to, to be, recover it right so to be clear you're locked out of that proton mail account forever yeah. there is no getting back in and then they will delete that essentially what i mean we can talk about how it actually works with encryption keys but essentially they're going to delete that entire account and you start over if you forget your right. password yep so all your contacts are gone all your email like everything that's encrypted with that key is gone so it's a big deal uh if you lose it but yeah there's no backdoor way in if you forget you're screwed now, there's plenty of ways for you to make sure that you have your account set up properly and backups of your keys and passwords and things so that that doesn't happen. So I don't want that to scare people off. You need yeah. to have probably an offline method of storing your passwords. It's a piece of paper you write it down on and put it in a safe or something along those lines. Or 
Uh, of course, utilizing Bitwarden could help you in this case or a password manager to have it there. So uh, I wouldn't let that scare you off. That's a security benefit because even when G Suite says in our privacy policy, we don't access your emails, that doesn't mean that they don't get a court order and say, hey, we want to access all that business's emails and G Suite right. will comply and give them access to everything in there. Yeah, it doesn't so, mean they can't. It means they'll choose yeah. not to. But, you know, the, yeah. the interesting thing here is they ProtonMail actually, I don't like if you, if you say, if you don't want to scare anybody off, like they make it really easy. You can add a recovery email and then you mm -hmm. can send a thing and then you can you can log back in or whatever if you have a recovery email set up so you don't lose access to your, so I mean, there's definitely ways to do that. There's no getting around the fact that there is a private key. It's secured with a passphrase. If you forget that passphrase to unlock that key, all the recovery options in the world are not going to help you. Unless you call you're the NSA. Screwed. Even then, they, they, they're, they're using AES. I mean, yeah. as far as we know, the NSA doesn't have the capability of, as long as you're using a 32-character passphrase or longer, uh, they don't have the ability to crack that in this lifetime yet. Yeah. So Tutanota is another one a lot of people recommend. I have been playing around with it for several months. I would say it's a good option. I don't think it's as polished as ProtonMail personally. I know some people, every time we talk about ProtonMail, write in and talk about, hey, you need to talk about Tutanota. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, and, and I do play with it and utilize it kind of as a spare account. I don't pay for it. I use the free version of it. I do pay for Proton. Uh, it's not as polished, but it does seem to be a very secure and good service out there that some recommend. So if, if you're, for whatever reason, um, looking for a secondary account, Tutanota seems to be a good one. And I don't know that they've had as many audits and things as ProtonMail has had, but the community seems to like them a lot. So that's another privacy-focused email service to check out. And just to clarify, I think they said that you've lost every single email. Thankfully, Google still have your old emails. It's only the emails you've lost since you went to ProtonMail. So don't panic. You can still get Granny Smith's address from good old Google because they hoard everything for you. There you go. <laughs> and the last item for the, the community feedback is Will sent us a note and he says, hi guys. Well, really like your show and listen to it every week on my phone while I go for a walk. I think you might have missed a critical point of WSL2 though. While yes, it helps developers, it will also allow companies to run Linux Docker containers on Windows hosts. Remember, originally WSL was a Windows 10 only tech, but now it's also starting to ship on Windows 2019 too. Won't change much for me as a, as a home user, because by the way, I run Arch, but will make yes. things interesting at work. Uh, so that's actually a good point. Uh, there are some other things that it does value, but I, I don't, I think that the, some of the things that people don't, missed about what we were saying is not necessarily that there's a negative aspect to WSL uh, in the terms of the users or in the companies who utilize it. It's more in the sense that it's the negative aspects of as a community, we are helping make some levels of using Linux uh, not necessary. So like if you, for example, were in a, in a development environment or you're in a sysadmin system and you, you could say that, you know, Linux would provide server value to a user, uh, to our company in a, in a much better, more broad way. And then the company could go like, well, we could just use WSL now, right? So like we don't have to worry about that anymore. So like there are certain aspects where companies could skip the the task of using Linux because WSL is there. So I get why users want it. I get why companies might want it. I understand why Microsoft did it in the first place. What we, I don't understand. I don't know if it's everybody in here, but what I don't understand is why we as a community are helping facilitate that. And that's my issue with it. So there's been some 
comments about you know one particular instance of uh, Ubuntu, for instance, I think has two dedicated resources or will have two dedicated resources. And that's a very small fraction of the overall amount of employees that Canonical has dedicated to WSL. But you know, on, on Zeb's live stream, we got into discussion about is Linux ready for taking over the desktop? And the discussion was that people felt it was not. So, and they gave various reasons for it, that it wasn't just marketing. There were a bunch of different reasons why Linux isn't ready to dominate the desktop, which I disagreed with, but that was their, their point of view. What I found interesting though, is we're taking two full-time developer resources, which we know how much one developer can do in Linux. We've seen this entire distros are completely supported by one individual in, in, in certain cases with some community help. Two entire developers were dedicating from the company, and this is their right. They could do whatever they want and, and to basically help build Windows, a trillion dollar company to help them build WSL into their infrastructure with the idea that I get of saying, hey, this is going to help people get to know Linux. This is going to spread Linux to people who might otherwise not ever come there. I think that that's the bet. And it's just my take is I don't think that's going to happen. No more than Android made people come to Linux uh, when it was based on the Linux kernel. I think people are just going to use it you know, to get the things that they need done easier and not go, oh, wow, this is amazing. I mean, some might, but I don't think the vast majority will. Yeah, it'll be a, there'll be a percentage that will, you know, be introduced to it and then transition to Linux from it. But I think the percentage of it will be very, very small. Now, uh, if I heard Microsoft was paying those employees for Canonical to support this, then that would make complete sense to me that, of course, if they're willing to pay for us to help build something out. Great. And as a trillion dollar company, uh, they could probably afford to do that. Yeah, I think that's a, also a valid point. If if it was, I think it's more like the community doesn't. We don't. If if the community is doing it for them without anything in return, it's really weird. And I've heard that there's, you know, I've heard mixed reports about whether Canonical is being paid by Microsoft or not. And so we don't we don't really know for sure about that. Uh, but maybe we could get somebody from Canonical to Canonical to come on and talk about it and see if there's a way they could explain to us why this is being done and what's good about it. Uh, but I think that the uh, overall landscape is going to be somewhat uh, tainted by it. So we'll see. I, I think that it's not necessarily a horrible thing that is being done. I just, no. I, th I just think that it's, we should be focusing more on our side rather than their side. And I understand that the whole, like the argument about, well, it's not about sides. It's about, you know, we're, we want as many people to use Linux as possible. And this is a way to accomplish that. True. But we also already dominate in every other facet of computing. And the only thing we don't dominate in is, is the desktop. So why are we making it less possible for us to do that? So I think that I think that the de Linux desktop is at a position where it could totally do that. And the only like limits are the chicken or the egg problem where we do we have to have enough users to convince companies to make software for the platform but we need to have the software for the platform to convince users to do it. So like we have to address it in some way. And I think that this is not one of those ways. So Noah, what are your thoughts on WSL? Cause I don't think we've ever gotten you to, you know, fully open up on, is this a good thing? Is this going to help build Linux or is this something where we're wasting resources in, in your opinion? Obviously yeah, I've, I've gone back and forth on it. I really have, because on one hand, I really feel like, Every time we do something like this, we give up our hand and make it easier for our competition 
we don't treat Linux as a business. We don't treat it as any sort of intellectual property. We're just, we're all about giving everything away. And to a certain degree, that's great because in the open source way, that's fantastic. The problem is when you have open source companies trying to compete with commercial companies, they just take all the best ideas out of open source and then add a couple more on top. The end consumer has a hard time picking Linux. So from that perspective, it concerns me. However, that said, I think the reason Linux has gotten to the dominance that it has is because of the ease of entry, because it's so painfully simple to get into. Because when you go to Amazon, there isn't some sort of corporate licensing thing that you have to sign or some agreement that you have to maintain that you're going to contribute back. Or you're going to pay so much money to, uh, to, 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 to fund the development to the next version of the open source software, whatever the thing that you could come up with that would try to ensure that open source always gets ahead. These companies, quote unquote, pay their fair share. Any of those things that we would do would stop the small guy, the guy who started, you know, the company that runs our phone systems now where we can have web control over our phone systems and tied into the broadcast system and all that. All that stuff is built on open source technology because it all existed, because SIP were open standards and because all of the, the, the SIP trunk providers and stuff that existed, all of those things were just out and in the open and all the technology was there and it just took some kid uh, you know, a, a little bit of talent to, to put it all together and compile those pieces. And all of a sudden now there's a great new service. So when I look at it from that perspective, I start looking at, okay, the reason that Linux has 90 plus percent dominance in the server sphere is because it's easy to get to and the barrier to entry is low. And so if we expand that to Microsoft, I really do have a hard time seeing sometimes how that would be a bad thing. Like maybe that is exactly what we need for people to start looking at Linux as a serious contender is something that can not only work in the service sphere, but also is something that even if you're running Microsoft Windows, you want to be familiar with because underneath that, all the actual powerful stuff is being done on Linux. And maybe 10 years from now, that turns into something like Windows rebases off of the NT kernel and rebases on the Linux kernel. They stop worrying about executing PL code and start writing you know, executables that would run under, under a Linux kernel. I, I mean, I can dream, can I? I mean, that's a big dream. I've heard that dream from other people. To me, that's complete hogwash from a corporate standpoint. Microsoft's never going to lose control of that. All right. Uh, let me make the corporate argument for you and just see if you... Let me just spend 30 seconds. Hear me out. You're sitting at Microsoft and you say, hey, the, the desktop is dead. The de for, for all measurable purposes, the desktop is dead. The people that are growing up in elementary schools right now couldn't care less about personal computers. They want tablets and phones. We don't exist in the tablet and phone sphere. We've tried numerous times. It's always been a it's always been an uh, abysmal failure. And you know what are we going to do? And so you look and say, okay, there's this operating system out there. You could you could, you don't have to maintain it. You don't have to support it. The community will do all of that. We can just write the applications, run our cloud stuff. People can open it with a web browser and use it. And this gives them a stable landing place with our logo on it. They'd be able to do that. I feel like that's a compelling argument. Maybe if you believe that tablets and these other devices are going to replace laptops and desktops, which we've been sure. hearing for over a decade, and they're still not even close. But if you believe that, then yes, possibly that would be an argument. So uh, again, like you said, sometime in the future, maybe when that takes place and you could be as productive on those devices as you could a laptop and a desktop, which is possible, it's possible, then, then that may be a compelling argument. But I don't think Microsoft's going to leave control into the hands of an open source market of something that has really been one of the factors of why they are a trillion dollar company. It's not like the desktop, like how Linux treats it, where Linux treats the desktop as kind of a you know, a secondary citizen. They were focused on the servers. Microsoft kicked off by focusing on the desktop, making personal computers easy to use, getting them into the education system, then 
going into the enterprise and server market and dominating there as well. So you've got the people coming into the workforce. They're saying, I want Windows because that's what I grew up on and understood. Mm-hmm. That's how they, they grew. That's their bread and, and butter. And to be clear, you don't see that happening right now with mobile? As far as what? As far as what, what people, the average human being, the average person under the age of, let's say, 30, they wake up, their primary computing device, you don't see that being a mobile device? Of it's definitely sort. a mobile device, but it's not in the workplace. I don't see any productive work environment outside of a retail person who takes the credit card payment for you on their mobile device now in an Apple store, utilizing a mobile device to actually mm-hmm. complete uh, you know, a full customer and, service support center or yeah. a, you know, a, anything along those lines. I, I agree. There's, I agree. There's certain markets and I, I get that we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I, I just, I look at it and I go, is the, is the average American businessman not now conducting business on his iPhone rather than his laptop? I yeah, think they I, conduct some business, some, limited yes. business. Yeah. There's also times where you're, to- you're going to be doing things that you're just, most people have a problem with, you know, the, the reason why text speech and text style and the, the super minimal way of doing text messages exists is because it's painful to do long messages on a phone or so like a long email that's going to be on Like, you know, do you need a business corporate email that you need to fill out? You're not going to want to use your phone because it's just painful to mm-hmm. do. And I think that's going to be applying to like everything. You can do it business wise, you know, kids doing their homework on their phone, which have to pay torture depending on how much they have to do. Like there are certain levels where even, even if the phone gets to the point where it is the dominant device, it's still going to not take over completely from the laptop and desktop because of just how painful it is to use such a small device for any length. I agree. Of time. I just wonder if it's not the majority. I, I don't think it's the majority. I don't think so. And, well, no, I don't think, I think the shot. majority of people personally spend most of their time on a mobile device. That argument hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. And statistically the, the case could be easily made there that the more people are spending more time on their phones than they are at their personal computers. When you take it into a work environment, though, or needing to get work done, like I'm going to do my QuickBooks finances for taxes for the year, you're not usually, I think most people are going to their desktop. Even my uh, in-laws who are very not super computer savvy will get their laptop out for once that year to do their QuickBooks taxes and everything else and, and not try to do that type of stuff on their phone. You know, a lot of companies believe this, though. So what you're saying, though, is not like it's it's. No, I, the, the reason I, I laugh because literally a service call this week was a I was was working with a, with one of the girls. They were all going through their, their thing for the end of the year and they had iPads and they have QuickBooks mobile on all of these iPads and they're literally using QuickBooks online and they have four accountants that are sitting there on, on iPads going through and, and taking pictures of receipts. And because the mobile integration to take a picture of the receipt and the OCR to scan and attach it to the thing works way better than the desktop thing does. Like they'd have to physically have a scanner and they'd have to crop the thing out and the mobile app does all that for you. So like, I, I guess just what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing are just, it, it just it, like, it just feels very disconnected to me. So, but I guess well, I, time think, will I think the world a- wants it to go there. But if you look at it, look at Samsung Dex, right? They killed the Dex project. This is a perfect example of, hey, it makes sense. They saw what you saw, Noah. Everybody's mm-hmm. using their personal device more. We're going to make a dock. You plug it in. You get to have the, the operating system pop up on your screen and you just put a Bluetooth keyboard, you unfold, and you could do it work, but it's dead. Motorola did the same thing five years earlier where they yep. released their because version try- of Because desktop. I think they're trying to force it. I think they're not yeah. just letting the... Na- I, I think they're just not letting the natural, natural people do... You know, If they just make the app and just let people use it, I don't think people want to buy a bunch of accessories to make their phone into a... Te- into to a desktop. Yeah. I think they just want that thing to exist. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So we love hearing from the worldwide community. You've just seen why your one simple email, just bringing up a point about WSL2, leads into an incredible conversation. And I'm quite sure that Ryan and Noah could have been going back and forth um, for hours and never repeating themselves because it is such an interesting subject. So please keep sending those emails in. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or a video that may get incorporated into the show. So send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. So we want to do a quick update on our charity, which is Free Geek, the charity that you as our community voted for. We reached out to you on our discourse forums, destinationlinux.network, which if you're not a part of those forums, you are missing out on a lot of fantastic discussion there, as well as destinationlinux.network, where you can learn about all the different shows that we have as a part of the network, but Free Geek is a fantastic charity that is helping to close the digital divide, educate the community on computers, leveraging Linux and open source, reducing e-waste, and fighting for rights to repair. Uh, this is the charity that we want to support, that you chose to support, so head to destinationlinux.network slash freegeek, and there you can support them with a monetary donation, or if you have extra hardware lying around the house that's going unused, send that to Free Geek so that they can repurpose that and get it into the hands of those that need it. We are so incredibly proud to be working with Free Geek, and we are so incredibly proud of this community for all the donations and things that they give during Zeb's charity stream. So thank you so much for that, and we hope you'll go out there and check out Free Geek, uh, destinationlinux.network slash freegeek to find out ways that you can get involved. So one of my favorite Arch-based distros of the year, Endeavor OS, has finally released their highly anticipated Net Installer. And really the main feature of this release, in my opinion, is choice. So if you've used Endeavor up to this point, you have the XFCE desktop that gets loaded with it. And for me, that's perfect. Game over, done don't need anything else. But others, they want different desktop environments out there to choose from. And so now with the Net Installer, you have Cinnamon, Mate, LXQt, Plasma, Gnome, Budgie, and Deepin all as options that you can choose from during install of a desktop environment. Now, of course... Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. It's, it's pronounced Gnome. Uh, that's false. <laughs> um, now we're switching roles. And yeah, now like we're switching. Gnome. It's Gnome, perfect. Gnome, Gnome. Gnome. Um, so if you're you now, you could always go back and you could install any of those desktops anyways, for instance, this week on, um, the Lenovo flex 14 that I've not done a video on yet, but it's a brand new laptop and I have all of the rotation screen touch, uh, Wacom settings, everything going on that. So I'll be doing a video on that soon. It has Endeavor on it and I loaded the cinnamon desktop on it. Uh, cause obviously Endeavor is very close like Antergos was to a pure archway. Not exactly, but it's about as close as you can get in an Arch-based distro and has a super easy installer um, for you if you want to get uh, into Arch but don't want to go through the pain of installing Arch. Endeavor is one of the best out there. Now, the only desktop environment that's themed currently is XFCE. There are plans to also provide themed versions of OpenBox and other tiling managers as well in the near future, which is something to be excited about. So if you're somebody who likes to use tiling managers, you're going to have theme version options for that as well. Now, as I understand it, Zeb, you've been playing with Endeavor OS Net Installer. What are your impressions of it? 
Um, I certainly did. And I was actually interested because when I was reading, I think, the release, um, the way I read it was that um, because they've now gone net installer, nothing will be themed. And I thought, oh, this is a bit of a, a shock because their XFCE theme was gorgeous. So I went ahead and um, I did the net install, picked XFCE. And for me, one of the huge things that you forgot to mention is they now have a single clip button to install NVIDIA drivers. Nice. So it was great to see an ISO at last catch up with the RTX 2080 Ti because it's been the bane of installing videos for quite a while. So that all now fires up on three screens from the live CD. You can then go through the install process, which is ridiculously easy. And I picked XFCE, and I'm happy to say that, yes, it is still themed beautifully. It was just such an easy install, and it's one of my favorite sounds. Everything, even though it's Arch, everything just works. It's mm-hmm. it's a great distribution. I'm really enjoying playing with it again. I mean, I did I used it when it first came out, and I was lucky enough to have the developers um, provide me with my own NVIDIA installer ISO, um, and they've obviously worked a lot on that now. So that is just a nice single click. You pick your desktop, tick NVIDIA, reboot, everything's working perfectly. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good project. I'm I'm so happy that they decided to pick up the you know the reins from Intergos because if people who are not aware, I used to be a part of the Intergos team. It it's a it was something I always wanted to have where you could get really easy access to Arch because Arch is a good distribution, but it was also it had like this you know big barrier to entry, and it was designed to do that on purpose, uh, which is fine. There's no problem with that. It's just that some people would want it to talk about Arch, and then there would be a very you know very big barrier to get into it. And Endeavor and Intergos created a way to do that. And the fact that Endeavor is kind of like keeping the so being a successor to Intergos is really great. And it was actually something because I was I was excited that this was happening because with a new set of people doing it means that there's a new philosophy around it. And uh, I was able to uh, transition to from being a part of the Intergos team to be to give like advice and stuff to the Endeavor t- uh, team. They were doing things that, in my opinion, was what Intergos should have done in a long time ago. And they are doing something where they are doing a theming of certain things. They're not going to theme everything. They're going to give you an option for vanilla, which a lot of people want to have the vanilla option so they can customize it themselves. And in some cases that you can get the themed version. So if you don't want to do the ops, the customizations, you don't have to. And I really like that approach because it's one of those things that, you know, Intergos used to theme everything to like super degree. And it, it wasn't, you know, some people would have to install it to remove certain things and, you know, that kind of thing. So I like that approach too. So Endeavor is something that I've been very excited to see. And I can't wait to try out the net install more because I want to try out all the different DEs because, well, having this as an option to really quickly get access to all this stuff is just awesome. So mm-hmm. Brian is one of the developers in that community. Michael, I found some issues in Endeavor last week. I started sending them to you because I knew you were friends with Brian and you were just like, dude, just send it to Brian directly. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't know me. I don't, you know, I've, I've found the problems, but I also had the solution. So this wasn't really a bug report. It was, Hey, here's how you can fix these issues. So other people running into it. And so I am them out of nowhere said, Hey, I've got these problems that I ran into with these style of laptops and here are the fixes for it. And just incredibly welcoming. I saw it get posted on their site as well for information to help others out there. Then they fixed it in the next release. So it's just, 
they're so involved. It's an unlike what most people, which I think is slowly going away, but a lot of people have had some negative experiences in the arch community with the, just the read the manual, read the wiki type thing. If you get involved in Endeavor, you're going to see it's a whole different world. It's They're mm-hmm. very welcoming to yeah. new people. They're very welcome to feedback. That doesn't mean everything you ask for is going to get in there, but that also means you're not going to get, you know, smart aleck responses and things like that back uh, from them. They're very involved in the community. And, you know, if you're enjoying Endeavor, because this is a small team working on this currently, take the time to just say thank you to them for, you know, developing this if you are enjoying it. Because I love what they're doing with Endeavor, but I love more what they're doing with the community and Arch Mm -hmm. because they're helping fix a reputation that needs to go away. Absolutely. And listening to Michael as well, it reminded me of one of the things that I also did during my install. Um, And back in the day, I read that you could just install desktop over desktop over desktop, but that didn't particularly work well back in the early days of Ubuntu. So I installed XFCE and Plasma and Deepin. Now, I'm maybe not expert enough to realize, oh my God, what have you done, Zeb? You can't mix and match all these bits and pieces. But hey, I boot into each desktop. And they all work. It's amazing. So how they've done it, whether they've done it the right way or whether I shouldn't have done it because that's just like, <laughs> oh, shitty person. You, how can you possibly have XFCE and Plasma and Deepin on one install? Well, I did it, and it works. So it's funny you mentioned that, and it's a, a good point. I was told early on in my Linux years, and I listened because it was from very wise people, that you cannot mix desktop environments and that it will make things go awry and you'll break your machine and all of that. And Arch is the only time where I felt comfortable enough to experiment with this. And I've not had issues. Now, you will have massive duplications of packages and things that once you choose, uh, so you're wasting space. And I don't suggest people go out there and do this. But Arch is much more flexible, I think, because the amount of customization done in each desktop environment is a lot less than you would, say, in a more... Themed in Arch is almost none. It's things. almost none. Like they basically. Yeah. So you you can switch mis- mix and match desktop environments with l- with basically no fallout. Um and and it and it's very cool because you can switch easily. Now you will have a lot of extra packages you probably don't need that you want to mm. clean up eventually. So if you're a novice, I don't suggest you go and necessarily do it. You're just going to waste a lot of desktop or uh, disk space. But it's definitely easy and possible in Arch. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing it, but in certain distros, there are other distros that can do it, but most of the time it's like the rolling stuff that doesn't change a lot. Those are the most like compatible, I guess, with doing that. Uh, but I wouldn't suggest it anyway because it's not the it's not going to be a clean experience even if it does work. Mm. It'll there'll some at some point there might be an issue. So if you're wanting to test out things, that's fine, but if you want to do it like production where you have multiples, it's not going to be the best experience, but it could work depending on the distro you're using. Nate in our Zoom chat says you could do multiple desktops just fine on Fedora and OpenSUSE. Historically, Mandriva could do that too without issue. That is a large reason I never went to Ubuntu flavors. So it's interesting he mentions Ubuntu flavors because those are the flavors where I was told don't mix and match desktop environments specifically. Now, I was told that you could easily match things like KDE and XFCE and never run into a problem. But if you try to do, say, KDE and GNOME, is where you would start having issues in Ubuntu. I don't know if that's still the case. That's, again, what was told to me. would be something I'd have to try again and, and see if it's still a problem. So speaking of KDE and Ubuntu, 
Kubuntu has announced that they are going to be releasing a laptop, and this is the Kubuntu Focus laptop. So the Kubuntu Council has announced a partnership with Mindshare Management and Tuxedo Computers to bring a high-spec laptop to the market featuring Kubuntu OS as the main distribution. I assume, of course, you could change that to anything else, but it's really cool to have Kubuntu now doing partnerships with hardware manufacturers and stuff. Absolutely. So in in the announcement, they state that the target audience is power users and developers with a suite of applications that will come preloaded and updated from everything for Steam games, uh, deep learning, web development, image editing, and more. Uh, the hardware was said to be meticulously vetted and tested, so everything works falsely out of the box. And the specs that they have provided are that the CPU will be a Core i7-9750H, and the GPU will be a GTX 2060 with the 6 gigs of RAM. The 32 gigs of RAM for the, the memory of the d- d- uh, dual-channel DDR4 and we're going to have a one terabyte Samsung 970 Evo storage SSD NVMe. The display is a 16.1 inch matte 1080p IPS display. It's a really cool thing that also is going to have like user expandability. Like you can get more RAM, you can add an NVMe or an SSD to it and improve it that way. Uh, so it's going to be similar to the System76 laptops that appears to be like uh, manufactured by Clevo with like uh, customizations and optimizations for Linux. So you can do this going to be similar to that kind of style. Uh, and it also cl- includes like a lot of nice stuff that's like uh customizing the laptop to have like a super key for Kubuntu and some nice branding on the back and all kinds of stuff like that. We don't really have a word on the price yet, but it will be launched in 2020. And so if you're in the market, you might want to get check out the Kubuntu Focus laptop. Yeah, Is so there- they've sent some of these out to people to test. I don't know why we didn't get one. That's a shame. Well. But um, I, I've seen some of the videos of those who've tested out there. It looks like a pretty solid laptop. To me, this feels like the future of the Linux desktop is going to be in the hands of partnerships like this. If we want to see the Linux desktop grow, you've got to have the hardware manufacturers pushing it. We're seeing that a lot with what System76 has done mm-hmm. and the pushes that they've done to improve compatibility in the hardware um, with Pop! OS and, of course, with the hardware that they're releasing, so it's in their benefit to do so. And I think situations like this as well are going to help push Linux on the desktop because the distros by themselves, I think, are just personally believe they're more focused on the servers and things like that. But this is where we kind of bring it back uh, to yeah. the focus on desktop. Yeah, I think that having is it there- built into the hardware is going to be a great is a, is a thing we need to do anyway. But this is great that all these companies like uh, there's also like a Linux Mint has a, a, a stuff with their Mint box. We have a bunch of on the like IntroWare laptops and all kinds of stuff. So I'm glad that this is happening m- much more. Is there anybody that's currently using the same ODM um, that the Kubuntu laptop is going to be using? Uh, I'm pretty sure the Tuxedo computers are also using these already. But I'm not sure, like, what the difference between the Tuxedo computers uh, and the new, because uh, like the Tuxedo is a part of this as well. I'm not sure what the difference is between their current computers and this computer because we don't really have the full, like, this is the specs of like the hardware itself, but not the full you know, like information about the computer. And we, I don't know when, like, there's no pre-orders available yet or anything, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this. Uh, we pro- we'll find out sometime in 2020 when they make the full announcement for pre-orders and everything. Now, they did want to clearly state that they had meticulously worked with um, Mindshare and Tuxedo to vet this for working in Kubuntu and test yeah. all of the features out and determine what preloaded software and things they want to come with this. 
Um, you know, they're envisioning this to be used for things like Steam gaming. So you've got, of course, with that kind of a video card and the RAM and the specs here, this would be great for gaming. So they're, they're focused on that. Also, deep learning, web development, image editing, uh, video rendering, that type of work is what they're envisioning being done on this. So I think that's where a lot of their focus is, is just making sure this setup of hardware will fit all of those needs and, and work mm-hmm. meticulously with Kubuntu. Uh, I like what they're doing here. I think it's pretty cool. Yep. I think it's great. I mean, the only thing I'd like to see on the user expandable side of things is to increase the memory of the RAM because um, sort of 2600 is a bit old school nowadays and people prefer 3000 or 3266. So I don't know whether that's the limitation of the chassis build and the cooling element and how hot that RAM gets when you start ramping it up to 3000. But yeah, that would be the only thing out of that whole spec that I'd like to maybe kick up a notch. And honestly, uh, Zeb, if you look into some of the differences in speed between 2666 and 3000, it's so negligible that most people will tell you uh, it's not even needed, but there definitely is a heat issue on the laptop and the chassis mm-hmm. chassis like this. So you're you're dead on with that uh, is one of the reasons they probably <clears throat> went with the lower megahertz in addition to the fact that you're not going to gain a whole lot. You're going to pay a lot more money and get a lot mm-hmm. less. You're going to get almost nothing for it in a performance side. Um, so I think they're probably safe there with the 32 gigs, but I do hope they have customization options to your point to increase that. Maybe you want 64 gigs or 128 and be crazy like that. I mean, uh, the sky's the limit and uh, here with things that you could eventually expand out. But knowing Clevo and playing with some of System 76's laptops in the past, they're so easily upgradable. When we talk about repairability versus some of the newer laptops where things are just glued together, and a lot of these laptops, you know, you pull out your eight screws, you open up the top and you've got your RAM sticks there. You're not removing keyboards and, and motherboards mm-hmm. and everything else to get to the RAM. So I'm sure that people could do their own home upgrades after their two-year warranty expires here because while it's under warranty, nice. you probably don't want to mess with that stuff. You know, here and here's the thing too. This is something we probably, there's there's no real discussion about these kinds of things because and there's no central place to find these things out. But for example... Lenovo, you don't violate the warranty if you open up the back cover to pop off, pop a new RAM sticks or something like that. Like they don't care. Dell, same thing. Um, so it it depends on the manufacturer, and I think those would be interesting questions to ask of anybody you're yeah. potentially considering buying a computer from. Is what will you allow me to do on my own hardware without violating, you know, my warranty? That yeah, is we, such we, a great point. The PlayStation Four is a perfect example of they allow you to open it up and replace the hard drive without losing the warranty. If you do the same thing on the Xbox, you actually void your warranty. These repairability right. questions yeah. are questions everybody should be asking. Yeah, and I also I just want to clarify: we don't know if there's any you know vo- vo- voiding warranty for this particular That's a good thing point. or any of their company. Their, their, their I'm so used to it that it just came out that way. Yeah. of people voiding warranties if you ever open them. But yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can reach out and find out some more information and let you know in the future episodes. Darktable 3.0 has been released. If one of the gifts you received for Christmas is a nice camera, then you're going to want some photography workflow applications and various different things to help you kind of structure that hobby. And Darkflow or excuse me, Darktable is a go-to with that. Now, Darktable is the alternative to Adobe's Lightroom. And anybody that is into photography has has used Lightroom at some point or at least heard of it. And the idea is this. Photoshop is really for creating from scratch. Lightroom is just about making subtle tweaks. So for example, one of the things that we deal with in 
photography is when you take a picture, the color that is referenced as white is not actually set. It's a digital data point that can be changed. And so I can take a picture with a camera and the sensor will interpret colors in a, in a particular way. Now, if I change mm -hmm. its reference to white, I can actually change the way the sensor interpreted those colors. And so I can change the entire look of the photo. Now, the, the advantage of shooting photos in raw format is that we can do that in post, is that it doesn't actually, the sensor data is raw sensor data. It's not actually converted to a photo. And there's software that can do that. Well, if you're looking for an open source tool that can do that on Linux, that would be something like Darktable. What Darktable does is it takes that raw sensor data and translates it into an actual photo that you can then print or store or use or whatever. But it allows you to make changes to, again, that sensor data, that raw photo information that you wouldn't ordinarily have access to with a JPEG. And, um, and so Darktable has become indispensable for anybody that does even light photography because what you can do, for example, I have a, D, a Nikon D810. And one of the functions of the D810 is the white balance is just a little bit off and the way that it interprets a particular color is a little bit off. And so what I was able to do is create a template for myself and kind of adjust the picture to exactly the way I want it. And now every time I bring in raw images, Darktable will go through and batch process that entire folder of sensor data and spit out images processed so that all the colors look great. Absolutely nice. fantastic piece of software. Very easy to set up. Very easy to use. You don't need to have a lot of under a lot of deep understanding. Just a couple of YouTube tutorials will get you started. And of course, if you're looking for something um, uh, for something a little bit more in depth, stay tuned to the Destination Linux Network. You never know what but what might be coming up in the near future. This release. Uh -oh. uh, this, yeah, I can't say any more than that, right? This release includes over 3,000 commits, so it's a big update and packs a full feature overhaul with features like new color profiles, improved support for displays up to 5K, preview monitors or preview windows, tone equalizers, tons of shortcuts improvements. One of the things I'd be interested in playing about with the new version is to see how it deals with tethered camera shooting. It's one of the things I've always felt like we've lacked on Linux is the ability to connect the camera with the USB cable to the, to the computer and actually do the shooting and storage in the computer rather than on the camera body itself. And so with Darktable 3.0, I'm definitely going to be downloading it and seeing if we have any improvement for, for shooting Tethered because it's something I'd really like to get into. What do you guys think? Any, anybody else other than myself do any sort of photography as a hobby? No, not, not really. really. No, but we yeah. do actually have uh, someone who's going to be joining the Destination Linux network who is familiar with photography into a, like a professional level. So we will have that input in future stuff. So that's that's what somewhat of what Noah is referring to. But we have a lot of things. Oh, that's that exactly what I was referring to, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, OK, in that case. Up next is some information regarding Caden Live 19.12. Um, this has been recently released, and this one includes some really solid feature enhancements along with stability improvements, which is something in the community that they've been asking for for quite some while. The biggest stability improvement is in the memory issues that have plagued the timeline, which is now resolved. So I can hear a big sigh of relief going around the community. Yes. Other performance enhancements include an improved timeline responsiveness, improvements to clip handling and caching, fine-tune rendering thread settings for faster rendering, fixed lag when adding compositions. Now, one of the other standout features is the improvement in audio editing. This version now has a new audio mixer new master effects and better audio waveform display which is going to help video editing workflow in a huge way. Caden Live continues to be the most recommended open source video editing solution for Linux 
hopefully if the stability issues can remain rectified it will continue to grow and surpass some of the commercial options out there now i know michael in the past you've shied away from going to the latest versions because you've found them to be um, a little bit flaky uh, until they put out some additional point releases have well, you had a chance to try this version yet Unfortunately, not this particular version. I've tried the one before it, and I do plan on trying this one for this episode. So I'll let you know in the next episode how I got along with that. But this this is more of a the thing about my you know workflow of using the older versions of Caden Live was not because uh, it was an instability issue. It was more of a, a features the workflow changed drastically, and my workflow for using Caden Live was built on the previous version of their uh, before mm. they refractored the the entire timeline. And when I went to transition, there was a lot of breakpoints, not necessarily breakpoints of the software, but breakpoints of my workflow. And that's kind of like an issue when, a, when there's a big version, a big major version switch between different so software, you have that kind of mm -hmm. a problem. And it was just like, I, it was just so small issues here and there that created mm -hmm. a big workflow breakage for me. And I have contacted the developers and talked to them about the different workflow changes and saying like, and because a lot of the times people who use, uh, you know, user video editors are not typically doing two, three hour long edits or, you know, the actual duration of the file being that long rather than the actual time it takes is way more than that. So they didn't have mm -hmm. some cases, they didn't even consider certain aspects. And then they, after having conversations with me, one, they showed me very, they've showed me a new workflows to improve my, my current system. And they also mm -hmm. fixed certain things about uh, the, the Excellent. transition. So I'm looking forward to the 1912 because I think that they've mostly fixed all the, fixed all the issues I had. So I can't wait to try that out and see if they have. That'd be good because this would be an ideal time for you to simplify what you do instead of your enjoyment of saying, hey, I can do this by going A, B, C, but I can also do this by going A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, A, L, and then it will look so much cleverer. Trim down what you're doing and utilize the features because they must have changed no. those workflows for a reason. Yeah. So, Quit creating OBS scenes easier. is what he's getting at. No, no, see, I understand what you're trying to say, but you don't understand the reason why the workflow is a way that I did it that way is because it was simplifying I do. You've got a things. You've got a keyboard Next there up in the show. no keys on it. No, it's just, I simplified it because of this thing. And that also... Simple, simple to you? Yes. Yeah. Blank, no. yes. Blank random keys. I, I think your idea of simple is my idea of, my idea of extremely worse. A nightmare. Yes. So Caden Live is interesting <laughs> because when we talk about Darktable, we're talking about an open source project that is just as good as its professional alternative there, meaning professionals can use Darktable. Now, some people will be like, no, I prefer Lightroom and blah, blah, blah. But you could have that argument where professionals are using Darktable today to do their work and make money off of it in a non-amateur way. With can, I, Kaden, can I interject for a second, Ryan? Yes. Uh, another way to phrase that might be professionals totally devoid of Linux and open source and licensing argue about whether Darktable is better or Lightroom is better. It's a totally different discussion exactly. than what we're about to have. Yes. Now, Caden Live, as an example, is, in my opinion, a fantastic video editor for your average user, but because of it, it's crashing and issues that it's had over the years, I am yet to come across somebody. I'm not saying they exist, but I think it would be very rare that says, hey, 
I've made movies in Caden Live and published them out to a studio. Whereas some of the alternatives, Noah and I talk about like Lightworks. And the reason why I bought Lightworks isn't because Caden Live couldn't do what I needed it to do, but because I kept getting the comments of, yeah, but a movie studio would never use Caden Live and they would never use Linux. And so I was like, okay, well, here's Lightworks. Right. It does produce movies and you can use it on Linux. And so what's your excuse now? So that's what makes Lightworks great. Now, is Caden Live, having used both of them now for over a year, is it as capable as Lightworks? Not yet, but these things that they're doing are getting it very, very close. And Caden Live very easily could become a professional video editor like Darktable has become for photography. It's possible. They have to get this uh, reliability under works because if you do professional video editing and you're doing these small tweaks of scenes and things like that, you can't afford to have it just crash and then you lose all of your stuff in the middle of a two-hour edit. And that this is one of the things that's been holding it back. But I'll tell you this too. I think one of the other things that holds it back is its minimum requirements. I think they need to raise that because I have very rarely come across Caden Live ever crashing on me yet. Every time we talk about Caden Live, I hear people talking about it and I really in my head think they're running machines with one gigabyte of RAM going, yeah. oh my gosh, my, the Caden Live keeps crashing. I, I think they need to, to really raise the minimum specs here and it probably would help their reputation from there just by itself. Yeah, I don't actually have much much crashing issues at all. So like when we were talking about the stability of it, I was like, I, I've not had issues with stability problems. I've mostly had workflow issues, but uh, stability has been has been great since like eighteen ten eighteen eight or something like that. Right. So I can't remember the last time it's ever crashed, but I have sixty four gigs of RAM, so I don't expect that it's going to be a system issue. But I know a lot of people in the community run very old systems with very low specs, and you mm -hmm. can install it on a machine. Heck, I can install it on the ARM based Pinebook doesn't mean it should be running on that right? i shouldn't <laughs> right. be editing and, videos you know and, and 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 so uh, you know to your point ryan and i i could not say anything any better than you had because you just totally nailed everything just perfectly on the head i agree with everything you just said uh, i would just add to that though that uh, professionals if if i were to do, i don't know i don't really follow sports but take a really good tennis player and give them the crappiest wooden racket with like a hole in, in it and like whatever right and give me the brand new carbon fiber whatever makes a good tennis racket give me one of those and and set me out on a tennis court would it give me any measurable advantage over the true professional no not even a chance right a good contractor is going to build a good tool or a good house even if all he has is walmart tools right even if he doesn't yep. have the dewalt whatever and so by the same token if you are a professional video editor, if you'd like you aspire to be a professional video editor, don't get so hung up in the tools. If Caden Live is what you can afford, if Caden Live is what's working for you, the process for editing a movie or editing a film and telling a story and capturing the right angles and getting the right parts in there and getting the right kind of cuts and all that, you can do that on anything. And that can include Caden Live to be sure. And so there's no there's nothing stopping anybody from making a great Hollywood movie on Caden Live. It's just typically Absolutely. what you're gonna find is that there are certain like multi-camera editing. It's kind of nice to shoot it with more than one camera. And when you go to edit that footage, it's really nice to have a video editor that's aware of the multi-camera angles. And so if you can sync those things up and go, oh, camera two has a better shot of this particular thing, it makes your life easier. But you could absolutely do it in, in Caden Live. So I don't, I, I agree 110% with everything that Ryan said. I just, I worry a little bit that sometimes we let paralysis of the analysis set in and we get so concentrated on finding the right tool or the professional tool or having the big name software that we, we just totally start to forget of what exactly we're doing. We're making videos and we're cutting them up and we're putting them on the internet. And frankly, Caden Live is still a heck of a lot better than iMovie. There's people that are using that for 
professional exactly setup. yep good point so every year we do a prediction episode for the show and every Terribly. year no most of the predictions are completely accurate or sometimes maybe get one or two right but either way uh this year we think we're going to nail it so what we're, we're what are your predictions for 2020 ryan so let's get you started with this and show you just how good we are at predictions well, I think we have to talk about our predictions last year first. So I had sure. Microsoft re-enters the mobile market basing off of Android, which I think happened. That's true. I mean, I could stretch it a little bit of how it For happened, about a week. but it took place. <laughs> AMD will outsell in the GPU, outsell NVIDIA, which they have in certain categories, outsold NVIDIA. So in the GPU market. In, in certain categories, you said. So did they outsell? Yeah, the we, let's not twist the facts here. And then... Uh, <laughs> I did say AMD's new uh, GPU, which was going to be the Radeon 7, which I run now, was going to stomp the 2080 Ti. So I got one kind of wrong. I mean, it does stomp it because if you're a freedom-loving, open-source driver type of person, you would be running it anyways. But it didn't stomp it in a benchmark uh, <laughs> point of view. So you can see I am two out of three in the prediction. So if you want whoa, somebody whoa, whoa, here... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's what? agreed? When did, when did Microsoft bring out a phone again? They, they did. They dropped a, a phone. No, they like, never fully killed off the Anyway, so one. my predictions for this year are <laughs> Intel is going to bring the best price for performance dedicated GPU to the market next year. So um, they're not going to bring the fastest GPU. That's not what I'm saying. They're going to they're launch their dedicated GPU, and it's going to be the best price for performance in its category. They're going to go after the... They're going to go after the... Um, entry mid-level to low-level market there. You know, they're not going after the high end, and I think they're going to out, outdo AMD and NVIDIA on price there. I also think they will release their first 10 nanometer CPU. They will not have a 7 nanometer CPU. They've been working on 10 nanometer for years now. I don't think they're going to restructure that into 7 nanometer all of a sudden and win there. They're going to do 10 nanometer, and I think it will have some impressive performance. They better because they're getting stomped all over the place right now. Uh, my second prediction is Arch overtakes all other distros on the desktop in a partnership with Valve. Definitely going to happen. Totally. Listen, I'm two out of three last year. This is going to, they're going to partner Yo. with Valve. We know Valve has done some work with uh, uh, Arch recently. And so this is where sure. they're going to focus their efforts and they're going to take over the desktop market. Not a giant leap at all. Just, totally possible. Can we just yeah. clarify that that was one out of three, not two out of three? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, no, I think, not going to get away with that one, Ryan. I think Canonical and Microsoft form a stronger partnership. Canonical moves over more resources to work on WSL, and Microsoft never releases an Office suite to Linux like people are predicting. I think System76 releases a full AMD-based laptop. Are, we, are these predictions or hopes and dreams? I always get confused. I think, I think we should two. probably do both. both. Yeah, both. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, I think Apple's going to continue to release crap products nobody wants at prices nobody can afford, like their cheese grater <laughs> and their stupid monitor stand for $999. And this one is not a dream or a hope. I really think it's going to happen. Google shuts down Stadia next year because it's been a bomb. Yeah, it's wow. quite possible. Uh, I think interesting. Yeah, I think there's a, some, a lot of good predictions, and I think that you might have maybe one on that one. We'll see. Oh, we'll see. Oh, you're talking yeah. about my, the my, my prediction. Yeah, yeah my, prediction, on that. my prediction is you'll, you'll get maybe one. And mm -hmm. so Zeb, let's uh, talk about what was if you have like off the top of your list of like how many you got more than Ryan did. That'd be great. Uh, then we're gonna go well, into your predictions as well. Okay. Well, last year I talked about, and I'm really glad I got this one wrong. I talked about there will be no Linux phone in 2019, and I'm happy to report that Pine64 have 
made me fail that prediction. And there might be some people arguing that, oh, but it's only a developer model. But hey, it works. There you go. So there's one that I unfortunately got wrong. Now, my second one was a, was a bit of a doppelganger, really, because it was bound to happen. I said that there would be more problems found with within the Linux kernel that the Intel chips would have further security problems. But I also did add the caveat that, of course, and those security problems wouldn't affect your everyday to day user and nobody would get damaged by them other than the kernel would slow down because you've had to add more mitigations. And I think we can all agree that if we had one or two this year from Intel, Michael. Uh, at least two, maybe more. At least two, though. Yeah. Because Zombie Load came so back too. I got that one right. And Ryan, can you remind me what my last guess was last year? Did you write that down? You know what? I didn't write yours down because I knew you had done your homework uh, and I figured you had Shocking. it here. Yeah. Do you remember Shocking. what it was? I think it was something about Michael. No, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Possibly. No. Possibly, but hey, well. I think it was Michael gets a stool in 2019. That's a good That's prediction. I remembered him saying, yeah. That was a good yeah. prediction, Zeb. Great yeah. job. You nailed it. So going on to 2020, sorry to be the um, the Debbie Downer, but Wayland will still not replace X11 <gasps> in 2020. Thanks, NVIDIA. Um, now, I keep hearing that they have made fantastic advances, and I am positive is not, it's not their fault, but it, until it works with NVIDIA, I don't think they can afford to replace X11 because there'll be, and unfortunately for Ryan, there'll be 60% of the people using computers won't be able to use them on Linux because... NVIDIA won't have Wayland support. But just that percentage there that you threw off the top of your head, how, how things have changed, because it would have been 90% a year ago. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's that's big kudos there to AMD for pushing out the boat and frightening NVIDIA big time. Oh, yeah. So my second prediction is I think that the Ubuntu desktop will thrive under the stewardship of Martin Wimpress, Director of Engineering, Ubuntu Desktop, at Canonical Limited. And I think he's going to make sure that the 2004 editions will eclipse all other earlier versions. And I'm including the phenomenal 1404, which was for me my year, year of the Linux desktop. They couldn't have picked a better person to push that forward. Now, totally. how we're going to measure that, I don't know. I think it's just going to have to be us deciding that, that the way, did it, did it happen or not? Pine 64 will continue to flourish. And this, because this is a, a shining example of how products should Agreed. be marketed and sold with complete transparency, something we wish that other companies would aspire to. And then finally, this is the one that I, I just know is not going to fail. Michael Stuhl will languish, unused, <laughs> heartbroken, sitting lonely in the corner. Ruining the day, it was wrenched, screaming from the heart of its family life, <laughs> wanting to go back to the other stalls in the warehouse before Michael bought it. Poor stool. This is Poor not. Stool. I'm going to make sure that that is not the case. You this will definitely not get that. He's going to sit on that stool at least once throughout the year. He doesn't know when. Could take a couple months, but we'll get there. We'll see. So, Noah, what are your predictions? All right. So my predictions last year was I, I predicted Canonical was going to go public. It didn't happen. So we're carrying that over to 2020. <laughs> I really believe, I really, really believe. You like, won't be wrong if you do it every like, single time. At some point, it exactly, might. <laughs> right? A broken clock is right twice a day. Canonical is going to go public. If it didn't happen last year, maybe it'll happen this year. But here's the thing. 
I think the real prediction, because that's not really a prediction, like they've kind of already said that, that they're looking to do that. I think Microsoft is going to buy a substantial share of Canonical. Maybe, you know, just buys them outright. I, I don't know. But I, I have a feeling Microsoft is going to make a play there because that's a good prediction. They, they absolutely need Canonical and Ubuntu for Microsoft to succeed. They're tied at the hip. That or they have to find another distribution to piggyback off of. But Microsoft needs something. Canonical is a company and Ubuntu is a product similar enough to a corporate like product. They're run like a corporate like like all of the things meld enough that I could see that transitioning being fairly painless. I also think that in 2020, a cloud connected company is going to get a major PR disaster. I think that, you know, people being terrorized by ring cameras, I think that's only the start. I think we're going to I think something really bad is going to happen um, over the next year with these cloud-connected Internet of Things devices. I think it's going to get cast into the mainstream media. I think people are going to be talking about it. I think there's going to be somewhat of a backlash. If I know and I understand people the way I think I understand people, it'll probably be grossly overestimated and people will do something stupid like, you know, we can't have Internet-connected things in our houses at all. Like, No, 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 there's a right way to do it, you know. But I think there's going to be a major PR disaster in 2020 with Internet-connected Things devices. I think we mm. haven't seen the worst they have to offer. I think tech is going to become a talking point in the 2020 American election. I think in the past, we've always looked at things like the economy and things like education and things like gun control and, and, you know, and social issues. I think there's been a substantial lack of talk about tech in the, in the political sphere. And I think the kind of people that we elect don't have a clue, right? I mean, you have the president of the United States running around tweeting on his insecure whatever device right and we're just kind of hoping that the CIA or whoever it is that's responsible NSA or the secret service whoever it is responsible of trying to, to to get those things locked down can do a good enough job and as technology becomes more mainstream and as it becomes more ubiquitous i mean future candidates candidates that are going to be the next president they're installing things like ring doorbell cameras in their houses right now right and so i think you're going to see that become a talking point as things come out why is there a difference between things that politicians can use and how do we need to care about those things and what kind of legislative action do we need or not need um to have in place. And I think people are going to start to talk about that. And I think that is going to get, you saw that come up a little bit with the, you know, with the, uh, with SOPA and you, you've seen that come up a little bit with, you know, obviously the chairman of the FCC has his own special brand of, of interesting. And, and I think that's going to continue through 2020. I think, that App, I think that Apple is going to move further away from the desktop and further into mobile. I think every time they release a new version of iOS, it's just a little bit closer of a melt between a desktop operating system and a mobile operating system. If you look at how they're iterating the the, the their quote-unquote professional line, you know, they have an iMac Pro, an all-in-one computer that starts at $5,000. It's a joke. You get a desktop computer that, like, it has, it's, it's, it's like cheese grater to the extreme. And you're talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, they, they, they had a small market to begin with. They're losing that market. And then their answer to that, instead of coming up with a more cost-effective, reasonable, powerful, supported solution is to like totally jump off the crazy cliff. I think that they're going to find in 2020 that did not work out well. And I think that as Android continues to gain in popularity, whether we like it or not, because there are so many manufacturers making Android, you're just an idiot if you don't make your app available for Android. And as that continues, Apple's going to have to do something to start to compete in the lower cost uh, mobile space. And so you saw that a little bit with the 5E. 
E, and I think they're going to continue down that down that track of making inexpensive technology for people because they want to continue to participate in that sphere, and they're just getting run over by Android. But I think they're going to pull away from the desktop to do that. I also think in 2020, we're going to have a real third-party mobile player. I think somebody else Ooh. is going to come up. I'm not sure if it's going to be selfish. I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, purism uh, with all the strides that they're making of making phone calls. I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, uh, you know, the um, Pine phone, but some third player you know, it could be UbiPorts, it could be something, but some third player is going to establish and it is going to become, it's going to become a minority, just like Linux is a minority, but it will be Android, iOS, and X. And whatever UbiPorts. X is, yeah, it, it could very well be. That certainly seems to be the thing with the most promise, right? But UbiPorts is going to find a hardware partner then and you're going to have some something where, you know, and, and I would see it as a success if, for example, something like AT&T or Verizon on their site has directions on how to activate an UbiPorts phone or a Sailfish OS phone, right? When we get some sort of acknowledgement from the mainstream that, hey, this is something that's niche that it's out there, but if you want to do it, here's how we support those things. So when you call customer service, they're not totally taken aback that this other third operating system exists. They don't see it as a bi- you know, binary world of iOS and Android. I think that we're going to see that happen in 2020. And We've seen it come so close to your yes, point. It happened because of the tariffs and things that took place that forced Huawei and other other companies that have massive back pockets to start looking at alternatives. But even if you're not a believer in what Huawei can do, which I would say, uh, whether you like them from a security standpoint or believe some of the rumors or not, doesn't matter. They've got pockets deep enough that they could pretty much uh, spend a fortune on research and development and not even whimper. Uh, It's also caused other companies like Samsung and stuff to start looking into alternative uh, environments as well. Everybody's afraid of the control that one company, Android, has over the market. And what if that company decides they want to go into your market? You have no way to stop them because you're so tied to the hip of them. So this was a great thing for the market, honestly, from the aspect of breaking up this duopoly of Apple and Android for this to take place. I'll, I'll develop. I'll, I'll devolve from a little bit of the actual prediction to the little bit of the hope. I think that you know, you know who, you know what company I would predict would do this. Who's you know what device? You know what device? I would suggest is going to be the one that is going to be the thing that's going to be the third player that partners with UbiPorts or something like that. Libram Palm. Palm. Palm has been trying to get back into the market. I mean, they have fought tooth and nail. Like what they're doing now is they're doing that little small Android companion type phone. Yeah. And but you know they had WebOS, which was a fantastic operating system. I mean, it really was. It was. It was a true third party contender. Verizon was selling it. And they were actually offering if you bought a Palm Pre back in the day, they would give you free tethering service. So Palm yeah. is not Palm out Pre. of the game. They, I did too. I loved it. They, they did not. They have not completely gotten out of the game yet. And I think that you take something like you take something like UbiPorts and you pair it with something like Palm. I would agree with Pine Ryan, except for the fact that I don't think they want to be as big as they have to be to be able to be a true third-party player to negotiate contracts with Verizon and AT and T and Sprint and stuff like. That. I don't think they want to do that. I think they want to just list devices and then have people sell it. And I think if that wasn't the case, they wouldn't still be doing pre-order deals where you where they they make a limited batch. You are they would just say production is ongoing. We're going to make as many of these things as we can and as many as we can sell and get salespeople out there and get people talking to to retail stores and try and get them in there it doesn't seem like that's their approach and i think to be clear that's great i'm really happy about that because they're doing a really good job but i think if you want somebody to negotiate the at&t's and verizon's and sprints and t-mobiles of the world i think you have to have a company like 
Palm, who are they still owned by HP or they got bought out? Yeah, again? they're owned by HP, as yeah. I understand it. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because the market is ripe for this. You know, I've been in telecom for 20 years. I've never seen a point in time ever where so many consumers, and we have a major problem with this, are so bored with phones, they're not upgrading. All of this stuff coming out with unfoldable devices with two screens or your new $1,000 iPhone launching or your new Android device launch, people don't care. They're not upgrading anymore because the the iterative upgrades are worthless and they cost too much money now for someone to take a $1,000 phone and then replace it the next year. It's too much money. So we Mm -hmm. have a real problem here and there is such a market if someone like HP that has some thick pockets would come in there and sweep up and partner with someone like UbiPorts, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, to, to take so, it over. Yeah, so I, I feel like that's a I, I feel like that is definitely something that we're going to see in 2020 as a third real player in the market. And also, uh, and again, this is a this may be a bit on the on the on the wishy side rather than the actual prediction side. But I think Pine is going to go mainstream. I think when I was ta- I was at a I was at a Christmas party. And I was talking to some family members and I said, yeah, you know, this thing or the other thing. I went, yeah, I just wish there was a good solid laptop you could buy for under like five, 600 bucks. I said, well, you heard of the Pine book? No, what's that? Well, what do you do on your laptop? I check my email and I browse YouTube. That's it. Okay. You should really check out the Pine book. What is it? Well, it's, it's, it's a laptop. It's a brand new laptop. You buy for 200 bucks and it'll do all those things. No way. Yeah. Is it reputable? Yeah, very reputable. I've, everybody that buys one really likes them. They've done a really good job. When they get the word out, when people... When normal people, not to use that term, but it's true, when normal people figure out that there is a computer manufacturer out there that is going to allow them to use their, uh, that you can buy a brand new computer and just pull it out of the box and just use it and it won't get viruses and it won't slow down and it's not a piece of crap and it doesn't require activation. You can change the background without upgrading your operating system. Thank (laughs) you very much, Microsoft Windows Starter Edition. When you get to those kinds of things, a $200 laptop seems amazing, and I think they wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to keep those things in stock. So I think they're going to take off. I think they're going to be mainstream by the end of the year. Yep. Interesting. So before we move on to Michael, I've remembered, and how could I forget my third prediction of last year? Because it, it has come true, and I could just keep regurgitating it year after year after year. I will never fall in love with pixelated games. <gasps> that is terrible, Zeb. Yep, and you haven't got it ready this year, so you can't go. Your I don't think you wah, did because wah, wah. You, you fell in love with Corgi, Space Corgi, as no, I recall. I've never heard of Space Corgi. Oh, oh well, we'll we'll remind you we'll for sure. That. Yeah. yeah, no, that no, you're Zeb. Fine. It's the you're game fine. that you fell in love with. Yeah, yeah, it's that one. No, <laughs> I, I don't think so. So I'm I'm two for three. Manifest dog 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 manifesto or something. Dogafesto. Dog manifesto. What... No, that was yeah. Ryan falling in love with not being able to get out of the grill in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I actually did I, I did. I don't remember all of the predictions I did, but I did go look them up and didn't write them down. So I they do were remember all wrong. It they were not. Matter. Actually, two were correct for sure. One was uh, the exact opposite happened. Uh, but so first of all, I said that plasma would continue to grow in popularity and that it has done. Uh, I mean, that's not measurable. Yes, it is. I measured it. Okay. So sure. (laughs) Proof. Fair enough. Uh, also, oh, there's also a lot lot of, uh, people who would talk about it more often and, you know, previously it wasn't, it was ignored for years, right? So circumstantial evidence is the best evidence. Yeah. Yeah, Anecdotal for sure. But they're only talking about it to stop you talking about it. That's all. No, no, no. They're just giving me more things to talk about. That's the purpose of that. But anyway, <laughs> so the other one was that I predicted that the Raspberry Pi 4 would be coming out 
and that happened because there was actually people who were saying that it wouldn't come out until 2020 and I predicted that it will be coming out sooner. Uh, so I was lucky on that because I had really no idea what I was talking about and it did happen. So that is awesome. Uh, the, the other one is that I predicted that the uh, Samsung Linux on Dex would be getting more effort put into it and then it was killed. So the exact opposite <laughs> of that one. Thanks a lot, Michael. Right? So I jinxed so, it. Taking on, but we can use that, Ryan, because now what, what we need Michael, uh, Michael to say is that Google Stadia will survive. Yeah, say that. <laughs> yeah, Google so Stadia we, will continue. Okay, sure. Yes, now we know it's dead. <laughs> Thanks. I, I'm, so, I'm so happy that that's the thing now. So uh, the, my actual predictions are that there will be more Linux-powered devices, whether that's uh, you know handheld devices, phones, or whatever. I think it's going to like skyrocket the amount of devices that are powered by Linux in some way. I think Plasma will finally introduce good user experience defaults, putting it in its rightful place as being the go-to desktop environment. That's one of my hopefuls, I guess. Uh, yeah, and as speaking of the Linux, the smart uh, devices, I think that the 2020 will be the Linux, the year of the Linux smartphone. Maybe, maybe not entirely, but for me, I think that I'll be able to switch as my primary to using a Linux smartphone, like UB ports or something like that. I also think that Valve will make another announcement on the same level as Proton. Maybe not exactly the same level, but something like that. A big announcement that's going to blow everyone's minds again. Uh, I think that there will be at least one big commercial company that will release their application on Linux thanks to the universal app formats. And it'll be, it might not be like a super huge one, but it'll be a fairly big commercial company will do that and embrace the one of the formats at least. And I also think finally that the Destination Linux network will become a media juggernaut, not only in the Linux space, but just in tech in general. And it'll be possible for us to push Linux and open source forward in so many ways. And I think hey, that's it already happened. Yeah, that's pretty much already happened. And we're going to make that even more so. So, you know. Nice. So wait, now that Michael said, does that mean it's not going to happen? No, we already going to say like so. We already did we it. Just we literally established a precedent in what what Michael and when Michael anticipates the opposite happens, and then he ends with like, yeah, except yeah. For, except for the fact that Thanks, we already Dennis. know that this is true because you said that Michael, on one particular prediction where I got two. Your stool. No, Ryan, go, go sit, sit on your stool. stool. No, you shush. Go sit on your stool. You shush. Think about what you're you in time out. One of, first of all, Ryan said that he got two out of three. He didn't. He got one out of three. And then he also right. said he, he also said that I was I was I was I was the opposite was going to happen except for I did get two out of three so he's actually the one who's doing the opposite of what got, happens. So I got all my correct. That, that is not true. That is not true. We have evidence. Uh, we get we're gonna we're yeah. gonna tally it up. I won't be around to see the evidence because I'm busy. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put in the edited version. I'm gonna put a list of how many people how many we got right for 20, 2019 and what we're gonna get right for twenty twenty, which will obviously be all mine are correct. So I mean, that's. That's fine. But that's going to happen. You're welcome. You're welcome for all my correct predictions. Sure. Sure. Thank you, Ryan, for all of your help. You're welcome. Michael, go and time out. Michael, time out. I'm seconds. very tempted, but I'm not going to let you win this. So <laughs> go sit. Michael, go sit. You're still two seconds. I, I actually do want to do it just, just because it also makes Zeb's prediction wrong. But it doesn't because it's not 2020 yet. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. All right. So let's move on. So we've covered a lot of games this year, and I thought it would be fun since we did our predictions to talk about our favorite games instead of just one particular game in the gaming section for 2019. Now, the game does not, to qualify here, have to have been released in 2019. It's just what is the best game we've played in 2019. So for me, I think the game that I've had the most fun with, and I actually, you know, just 
practically fell over in tears laughing at trying to complete the new missions for with playing with Michael offline, which we both said afterwards, I wish we'd have streamed this because we are so terrible at it, was CSGO. <laughs> uh, CSGO, their new mission modes, their new Battle Royale had me revisiting this franchise over and over again this year. It goes in my top spot as one of my favorite games this year. I just had so much fun playing this on stream and off stream, and I'm so bad at it that it, it's just humorous. Um, Broforce, this we did stream, thankfully, live, because we laughed pretty hard at this one as well. Uh, this is a stupid 80s action film references game all throughout it. Um, but the game itself is incredibly fun. It's an action shooter. There are so many throwbacks to, you know, Arnold and Predator or all of these different movies from the 80s. You'll have to check it out uh, to find out what we're talking about there. Um, But I wanted to do some more modern games that we enjoyed. Warframe, definitely. This game has beautiful graphics, uh, definitely considered a AAA game out there. And being able to play it on Linux, which sometimes is hit or miss depending on their update, but they always eventually get it working again in Lutris or whatnot. Um, But it is such a fun game to play. It's an MMO that shouldn't be ignored out there if you haven't given it a try. But the game of the year for me, easily, hands down, with the best gameplay, best soundtrack, best art, best combat, all around is Nair Automata. It is just one of the greatest games, I think, released. And you can play it on Linux as well. Nice. Superb. So, Zeb, what are some of your favorites for 2019? Well, the, the first one obviously has to be Euro Truck Simulator 2. It's the one that I have put most hours into. Um, it continues to go from strength to strength. Um, and despite my Caravan Conkers, SCS just keep adding little tweaks to make this a truck driving simulation dream. Um, and if you've not played it, go out there and try it. Try and play it properly because it's not easy. Yeah. Now, for my second uh, pick, I'm not a huge gamer, but you have to marvel at the depth of gaming that is available in Guild Wars 2. Now, this game could take you a lifetime to master all the different characters and their characteristics and fighting methods. And the lands that you can visit are vast different and incredibly created for your gaming pleasure and then finally last but not least i can i can take my memory back to the 1980s i simply love this game but can't master it in 2019 so from its humble beginnings on the bbc micro to the small the sprawling universe that it is today elite dangerous as a space adventure cannot be beaten um, there you are minding your own business mining or simply trading and the game will explode into action as you battle pirates and marauders who try to destroy you and take your hard-earned goodies it is simply superb nice pick so noah have you played a game this year i have i i don't want to step on yours but uh i have uh i've been i my my new friday night activity with my kids has been rocket league and so we play on the nintendo switch and like hours and hours and hours and hours and then right after that uh we'll do super smash brothers for a little bit nice and then of course i have uh, counter-strike global offensive because i'll no scope you 1v1 uh and then i I really i i actually of all the games i mean this without sincerity i'm not just being funny the 
the, the a game that I legitimately would have had zero interest in, and I probably would have rather watched paint dry than play. And then I tried it, and it was actually awesome. Was golf with friends? Yeah, you guys invited me to play with you guys, and that like that was a blast. It was super fun, and I'm like, oh, this is why people play video games. This is actually kind of entertaining, you know? Like, yeah, that was it was a moment for me. Exactly. As and both two of those games that you mentioned are on my list as well. And I know, of course, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal which is totally fine. It's fine. I I expected this to be so. Actually, I kind of wanted you to mention those two because those oh, are the ones I know you played. Uh, but uh, Rocket League is the only one of three I've played to be clear right uh, <laughs> rocket league is one of my favorite games ever i think it's probably it's the most unique game i've ever played it has the like the level of skill that you can build in this game is just drastic like when you first yeah, start it's made for kids that's why noah plays it with his kids for family time well, it's not made it's like not it. made for kids that's not at all what it is. It's, it's you not have rockets attached to your car, and you hit a big soccer ball into a goal. It's right, made for it's definitely kids. De- decidedly. It is not made for kids. Noah, as it an adult, not. responsible adult, it's plays made it for with children, kids. or it's made for. It is not Fortnite. Just, I'm just clarifying. It's not <laughs> Fortnite, although it is owned by a company that made Fortnite. But, but that's not important anymore. Uh, so, uh, Rocket League is a fantastic game. I have been playing it for very, too, way too much time. Uh, so it's in the same level that Zeb has for Euro Truck. Rocket League is, on, is that for that game for me. Uh, also, Golf with the Friends is always a blast, and it's a game yeah. that exactly what Noah said. It you you would think this would be kind of silly to play putt putt online or whatever, but it's a fantastic game, and it's also been a wonderful piece of our DLN game night events. So I can't wait to get that when because there are actually new maps all the time made for this game. So the next uh, game night will also have Golf with Friends because we even have new maps to check out. Uh, also, one of my favorite games this year was Ballistic Overkill. Unfortunately, that they've decided to announce that their official servers have been taken down. You can still do community servers, but not their official servers. So it is still a good game, but uh, you know, there's that. See, everything Michael says he likes gets destroyed. This was they destroyed it before I said I liked it. It's not important you, to the shush, fact that I'm trying shush. to spread here. Right, of course. The the faked fact. Okay, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so the next one is something that I wanted to just talk about because I think it's really awesome that they've got to this point. The Super Tux Cart game has is yeah. a, is a, one of my favorites, and it's so awesome that it, they've added online multiplayer this year. So I look forward to putting that into our next deal in gaming night as well. Brilliant. And just a quickie from the uh, patrons while we're on Michael. Michael forgot to mention the Stallcraft game. Now, what this is, is he has to take the school from the corner, sit on it, and put it back in exactly the same place so that we (laughs) don't notice it. So Stallcraft is going to be the (laughs) game of the century. It's not even in the same place as last time. I did that on purpose so you would, like, so, whatever. Stallcraft? (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Let's move on to the next thing. Our software spotlight this week is Parted Magic. Now, this is a tool that I I am always shocked anytime I run into somebody who hasn't used the heck out of this thing because it is such a useful tool. It's one of the like six or seven tools that literally go with me everywhere I go. It sits in my backpack and inside of a little Ziploc baggie and I have a, a flash drive with Parted Magic. Now, Parted Magic is essentially a partition, a partition and disk management tool. And what it does is you boot off of it and it's a live distro, but it can do everything from data rescue to Uh, you know disk partitioning and also secure disk erasure and so you can do things like set all the all the bits to zero and then set them all back to one then all back to zero again and 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 overwrite drives if you're using a traditional drive if you're using an ssd then you want to use the ata secure erase function 
And Party Magic gets you an easy way to do that. So, you know, because alternatively, if you didn't have Party Magic, you'd end up going to SanDisk or Samsung or whoever makes your drive and you go download their stupid Windows executable and then you boot into a Windows thing and you run their software and then it would tell you to reboot or some stupid thing, right? Much, much easier. Everything all in one tool. You just boot Party Magic and you can erase any drive. You can also, they also have tools for doing the best you can, not that you can actually erase them securely, but the best you can of erasing flash memory like, uh, like SD cards and compact flash um it also it also has uh, tools for benchmarking and disc cloning and stuff like that and a new update has been out they added wine gnome disk utility dos box and a new method of booting via pxe so you'll definitely want to check out part of magic you can find more at part of magic.com so the tip and trick of the week here is cp which stands for copy with the tac p which preserves the ownership and file permissions during copy. Now, the reason why I chose this specifically is because this came up in our Telegram group as somebody who was copying files between computers and they needed to preserve the permissions there. So I figured if one person's asking it in Telegram, everybody may not know about it. So if you use the CP, which is copy command with the TAC P, that will preserve the ownership of the files that you're copying. But I wanted to add something else in there that maybe other people haven't seen which is the SCP secure copy uh, option as well. So if you've not used SCP, this is a way to copy a file from your local machine to a remote machine utilizing SSH. It is a very simple syntax. So let's say you're in the directory and you want to move some files from your local machine to another server. You would just type in SCP, the names of the files that you want to move, and then, of course, your uh, login and the IP address of the location of the remote server, and it's going to move those files over to the remote host for you. So if you've not checked out SCP, which I think most people who are utilizing this probably would write it into Bash Scripts as well, where you can move files over on a regular basis, um, go check out SCP or the CP and the options it has available through the man pages or read the ArchWiki. I don't want to. I, I I assume we don't want to get too drugged down in the weeds for this, but just a quick shout out: if you're looking to copy files over the internet or you're going to try and do something, use rsync. Don't use SCP security reasons. Yes, this is for local remote systems, right? right? right. You don't want to use this for something out in the cloud, like from your machine to a DigitalOcean server. You wouldn't want to use SCP. Yeah, you use would R-Sync. use it for local on your local machines, though, on any remote server locally to your network. Another feature of CP that I like is the, you know, preserving the file file ownership is really good, but also the fact that it, by default it doesn't preserve it gives, is a nice way to move files from your, your regular user folders into your root folders, and it will turn it into root control. So, for example, if you create a bash script that you want to give easy access to run later, you don't actually have to put the whole path. You can just CP it to your user local bin, and that way you'd actually be able to just type in the name of the bash script as like it's a regular command so it'll be automatically set up with the right permissions when you use cp the regular way a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to destination linux if you want a behind the scenes pass into the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live consider becoming a patron our patrons help keep this show going each and every week And they also get perks like access to the live recordings and unedited versions of the show. So if you can't make the live time that we're recording, you still get the benefit of seeing all of the outtakes and conversations that happen in between the segments of the show. 
And the best part is you can join for just a few dollars and you have your choice of joining on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux also has a new way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums and Mumble server. Hey, while you're there, check out all of our shows that are part of the Destination Linux network, like the new show, DLN Extend Podcast, where they take the hottest topics and do a deep dive, providing different perspectives and additional insights into the topics covered in the show, like Destination Linux, throughout the week. Please get back to us and provide us some feedback or ask any questions that you may have. There are numerous methods that you can do this via email, comments at destinationlinux.org. You can join Discord, Discourse, Twitter, Mastodon, and loads of other ways that you can find on our website at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep the comments and questions coming. We love to read them and hear of ways that we might be able to improve the show. And finally, don't forget to join our Mumble server, chat with the community, set up gaming sessions, and enjoy networking. And if you want more content from us, then the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out by going to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where Ryan will fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out youtube.com slash Boss, where Zeb can be found playing games like the Project Cars or Euro Truck, Euro Truck Simulator, American Truck Simulator, and other things like that. He's really into racing games, which is cool. Uh, Zebedee Gaming YouTube channel is available there for uh, also you can maybe sometimes see his regular random streams, sometimes like 24 hours. You know, that might be a rarity, but, you know, who knows in the future. You can also check out my content at tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux news podcast called This Week in Linux and other Linux-related content. You can check out Noah's show, where the AskNoahShow.com, where he hosts a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him, and he'll answer your questions for Linux and tech-related questions. Also, be sure to like that smash button and share the show on social media. And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.